Well, greetings, church family. I'm so thankful that you've decided to worship with us today. I hope and I pray that you are safe and that you are healthy. There's so many things we can't do. These are strange times. There's so many limitations that we have. But there is one thing we can do, and that is to study God's word. We can feast upon the truths of scripture. We can be challenged and we can be encouraged with our Bible study. And that's what we're going to do today. So turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. And while you're turning there, answer this question. Have you ever said these four words, I'm just too tired? I think we've probably all said those words. We're all guilty of saying those words and then failing to do something that we know that we should do. Or saying those words and then failing to do something that we know that God has instructed us to do. Or, or failing to do something that we know that later we will regret not doing but we don't do it, we're just too tired. We lack the motivation, we lack the energy, we lack the strength, something, and we just don't do it. Sometimes we even fail to do things that we really want to do, something that we desire to do, but we're just too tired. Have you ever heard a preacher, a pastor stand and admonish you uh, with, with this? They say that Jesus gave you his best so you should give him your best. Have you ever heard that? I've heard that. I've said that. That's, that's a good challenge. But it makes us cringe, doesn't it? Because when you hear that, you know that you've not always done your best. Sometimes you're just too tired. I identify uh, with, with this in a story uh, an account in the life of Christ recorded in Mark chapter 14. You don't have to turn there. Let me just briefly tell you this story. Jesus has uh, spent the evening with his disciples. They have enjoyed a meal together, the last supper in fact. Jesus knew that this was just 24 hours, less than 24 hours before he would be crucified. It was a high stress night. And so when dinner was over, uh, Jesus led the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane just to pray and to fellowship with one another, encourage one another. And when he arrived at the garden, he pulled three disciples aside, Peter, James, and John. And he said to these disciples, the ones who were closest to Jesus, he said, men, I'm struggling. This is hard. I need you to pray. In fact, here's how he said it, verse 34. Jesus said to those three, I am deeply grieved to the point of death, so pray for me. And so they agree to pray. Of course they would. And so Jesus goes just a little further into the garden so he could pray alone and these three men could pray with him. And what happened? Well, you go down a couple of verses, verse 37, it says, then Jesus came and found those three sleeping. And he woke them up and he said to Peter, Peter, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake for one hour? Jesus said, this was this is one of the most difficult nights of my life. It is the most difficult night of my life. Couldn't you pray for me just a little while? And so the disciples, they were, they were awake now and they were ready to do it. So Jesus goes a little further into the garden. Peter, James, and John begin to pray for him again. And what happens? Well, a couple of verses later, verse 40, it says again, Jesus came and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open and they did not know what to say to him. Well, I'm sure that's true. Jesus wakes them up a second time and says, guys, why can't you do this simple thing? And they were speechless. And then 
And then it happens a third time. Verse 41, then Jesus came a third time and said, are you still sleeping? Why is it that these disciples who had a heart to do what Jesus had asked them to do, they loved Jesus. They would ultimately give their lives for Jesus. Why couldn't they do this simple task? Why did they say, I'm just too tired? Well, Jesus answers that question right in the middle of this passage, verse 38, in fact. Jesus gives us the answer. He says of these three men, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And I identify with that. My spirit is willing. Nothing wrong with my spirit. I'm ready. I am willing. It's my flesh that's weak. Sometimes I say, I'm just too tired. So what's the remedy for this? Well, in Galatians chapter 6, we find that remedy. Now, we've been in the book of Galatians now for nine weeks. My goal was to finish the book of Galatians before we got to Easter, which is next week. We're not going to make it. Uh, but we've, we've made a, a valiant attempt, and, and we'll come back perhaps this summer and pick up the last few verses of chapter 6. But we're in the first part of chapter 6 today, and what we're going to see is the answer to the question, how can we find the strength? How can we find the motivation that will allow us to be faithful and to be obedient and to never say again, hopefully, I'm just too tired? So let's look, Galatians chapter 6, and I want to begin reading in verse 6. The Bible says, let the one who is taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. So what does that mean? Well, I'm the teacher. That means if I run out of toilet paper and hand sanitizer, I'm coming to your house. That's what that means. Not really, but verse 7, uh, it goes on to say, don't be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Familiar verse, passage that we quote often, important verse. Look at verse 8. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Now this really echoes something we studied two or three weeks ago when we said that if a person chases after sin... If a person's lifestyle is a settled lifestyle of sin, then that person will not inherit the kingdom of God. You reap what you sow. But if a person chases after the things of God, then that is an indicator that the Holy Spirit lives within that person, and that person will reap what he sows, and, and that harvest will be one of eternal life. Now look at verse 9. He says, let us not get tired of doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Now, uh, we're going we're gonna to look at all of those verses closely, but I want to go back to verse 9 right here at the beginning. And we're going to put that on the screen because there's something in this verse that people often miss. We just skim over this verse and we, and we miss something. What is the command? What is the imperative? What does this verse tell us to do? Now, usually the way people will answer that question is, is by saying this verse tells us to do good, to do the right thing, 
to be engaged in service and sacrifice. Let us do good for people. And that certainly is included here. That's an assumption of this verse. But notice, that's not specifically what the verse tells us to do. Look at it again. Let us not get tired of doing good. The command is not do good. The command is don't get tired. Don't be weary. Now, that's interesting uh, to me for a couple of reasons. First of all, because that's exactly what my problem is. As I said a moment ago, my spirit is fine. I want to do the right thing. I desire to do the right thing. My problem is not my want to. My my problem is my follow-through. My spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. And if he would have just said, do good, I would have said, amen. I already want to do good. But he doesn't say that. He says, I know you want to do good, so the, the command for you to follow is don't get tired. Don't be weary. And that brings me to the second interesting thing about this is I, I don't know how to do that. How, how, do you, how do you not get tired? How can we say to a person that has no motivation, hey, you, be motivated. How can we say to a tired person, hey, you, stop being tired? Well, this passage is going to answer that because right here in in the verses that we have read, we're going to find the answer. This is why this is such a good news passage. We're going to find the answer to the question, where's the source of strength and motivation? How can we not get tired? How can we be obedient uh, to this command? And so, I'm going to go back through this and identify three truths. And each of these truths will really stand as a puzzle piece. And you know how a puzzle works. You you have just one piece. It doesn't tell you very much. Uh, But if you put together some pieces, it will uh, communicate a truth. It will paint a picture. And so I'm going to give you one piece, and it won't answer the question. And then I'm going to give you another piece, and it still won't answer the question. But then I'm going to give you a third piece from this passage, and we'll put these three pieces together together. And we will discover the answer to the question, what is the source of strength and motivation? So what is our first puzzle piece? It is this. Embrace the principle of sowing and reaping. So let's look back at verse 7. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. He begins by saying, don't be deceived. And we know what that means. Don't be confused about this. Don't don't be uh, tricked into thinking something that is different from this. It's it's interesting in the original, it it actually says stop being deceived. Stop doing something that you have previously been doing. Paul is saying to the Christians in the church at Galatia that you have already been deceived. You are currently deceived about this, but I want you to be clear-minded. And so this is a warning to us. This is something often we're deceived about. Every single one of us, we need to get clear-minded about this. Don't be deceived. And then he says in verse 7 that we just read, God is not mocked. Now that's interesting as well because that's not what it says in, in the original. Uh, in the original, what we find here is, is an idiom. An idiom is an expression that makes sense in one culture, but doesn't make sense in another culture. 
Uh, we have a lot of idioms in our culture, in our language. For instance, if I were to say, it's raining cats and dogs. Now, you all know what that means, but somebody from a completely different culture, they, they would have no idea. What do you mean it's raining cats or, and dogs? Or, or if we were to tell somebody, hey, break a leg, break a leg. Well, somebody from another culture might think that's about the cruelest thing you could say to somebody before they, you know, are doing something on a, on a stage or a platform or in a concert. You say, break a leg. But you and I know what that means. It's, a, it's an idiom, a cultural idiom. Well, in the Bible, there are many cultural idioms. And so ordinarily, what our English Bibles do when, when we come to one of those idioms is they don't give us the idiom, they just tell us what it means. And this is one of those instances. God is not mocked. But I think in this instance, knowing what the actual idiom is will, will add richness to, to what, we, what we see here. So what is the idiom? What does it say in the Greek? It says this, don't turn your nose up at God. D doesn't that paint a picture for you? Don't turn your nose up at God. Don't dismiss what God says. Don't just ignore this. Don't just walk on by. Because if you do, when you get to the end of the day or the end of life, you're going to discover that it wasn't you who was right. It was God all along. Don't mock God. God will not be mocked in, in this. And then he gives us the principle. The principle that you've heard a hundred times, important principle, whatever a person sows, he will also reap. So it's an agricultural uh, an analogy. Uh, if, uh, if you plant apple seeds, you will grow an apple tree and you will harvest apples. Does that make sense? Uh, you can't plant corn seeds and harvest potatoes. What you sow, you will reap. And that's true in every part of our lives. What you sow into your life, what you invest your life into, uh, both from a from a worldly perspective and from a spiritual perspective, that's what you are going to reap. What you invest in the lives of your children, you will reap. What you invest in your marriage, you will reap. What we invest in our church, we will reap. You will reap what you sow. Now, one of the problems with that is, is we've heard that so many times, I think it loses its meaning. You, know, you can hear something over and over and over and it just... It doesn't catch our attention like, uh, like it once did. So let me say the very same thing, but with some different words. See if this will uh, catch your attention. Uh, there will be no surprise endings in life. Don't be surprised. You know, it's not the reapers, it's not the harvesters that determine what will be harvested. It's the sowers, it's the planters. And we don't need to come to some place in life and feign surprise that things have turned out as they have. There are no surprises in life. If, if you sow trash into your marriage, you're going to reap destruction. Don't say one day, I never saw this coming. Well, you should have seen it coming, right? Don't be deceived, he says. God is not mocked. If you sow trash, you're going to reap trash. 
There are no surprises. No surprises in our marriages. No surprises in our walk with the Lord. What you sow is what you will reap. No surprises in the eternal impact of your life. There are no surprise endings. Uh, There's another way to see it. Same thing, just another way to see it. You and me, we are not the exception. Uh, So often... We, we think that we're the exception. My marriage is the exception. My kids are, are going to be the exception. My, my life is the exception. But no, we're not. What you sow is what you will reap. You sow garbage, you will not reap a blessing. If you sow discord and criticism all around you, you will not reap harmony and joy. If you sow materialism, you make your whole life about money and success, you will not reap peace and assurance. If you sow sexual immorality, you will not reap a closeness with the Lord. If you sow selfishness, you will not reap friendship and love. There are no exceptions. That's true on the negative side. It's also true on the positive side. If you sow generosity and love and sacrifice and service, then you will reap accordingly. There are no exceptions. And, And this principle is true you will reap what you sow. It's true in a temporal sense and also in an eternal sense. And so in this lifetime, you will reap what you sow. Maybe not fully. It may not be fully realized in this life, but as a general rule, in this lifetime, you're going to reap what you sow. But it's also true in in, in eternity. You will reap what you sow. Listen to how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 6. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. He says, as you sow on earth, as you invest your lives in the things of God on earth, that there will be dividends paid in heaven. You will reap what you sow. Heaven, people struggle with this, but it, it's, it's the clearly taught truth of Scripture. Heaven will be different for different people. Uh, if you're a lazy servant in this life, uh, that's going to impact your eternity. Uh, listen to how Paul says that, 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Uh, We will reap what we sow here and and in eternity. So that's, that's puzzle piece number one. Embrace the principle of sowing and reaping. Now, puzzle piece number two. We need to know the time. Know the time. Know what time it is. So look back, Galatians chapter six. Let me read verses nine and 10 again. He says, let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap, notice, at the proper time. He talks about time. We will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, verse 10, as we have opportunity, again, he's talking about time, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially those who are in the household of of, of faith. So he refers to time twice in these two verses, in, in our English Bibles, there are very different words used for time. In the Bible I'm reading, it says proper time. In verse 9, it says opportunity in verse 10. Uh, we, we miss a little bit of the play on words in the original. Uh, in verse 9, the word there is Cairo, 
in verse 10, the word is chiron. They sound almost the same and they mean almost the same. Here's what Paul is saying. We will reap at an appointed time if we will sow at an expected time. So the reap, the harvest, will happen at an appointed time and the service, the sowing, should happen, is expected to happen at an, at an appointed time or an expected time. Now, let me tell you what I mean by those two things. Let's start with the first one. There is an appointed time for harvest. That reminds us that we shouldn't get discouraged. Have you been serving the Lord for a long time? Have you been faithful to pray for your husband or your wife or your children? Have, have, have you been faithful to give and you have struggled behind the scenes and maybe nobody knows and it seems that nobody cares and you wonder, will God ever show himself faithful to me? Listen, yes, he will. There is an appointed time where you will reap a harvest. God will honor your sacrifice. God will honor your hard work and your generosity and your faithfulness. Let's be encouraged. God knows. God cares. God's keeping up with it. And God promises us there is an appointed time for harvest in every one of our lives. And so we should just remain faithful. Uh, God will be reliable. We know that. And let's stay faithful. So there's an appointed harvest time, but there's also an expected time to sow. God has appointed service for you to do. God has appointed generosity and faithfulness and sacrifice for you to do in the season that you live in. There is an appointed time for you to serve. Now, Look at the analogy that he uses here, sowing and reaping. It's a farming analogy. A farmer can't just plant his crops whenever in the world he wants to. There is a time for planting. And if you get that messed up, it, things aren't going to work. There is a time that the farmer is expected to sow his seed. And, and there for us, in every season of life, there are things for us to do. There is, there is a field for us to plant. When I was studying this this week, I, I read something from Bruce Barton, a, uh, a Bible commentator, a scholar, and he said this. I thought it was interesting. Time in this passage means that once missed, once it's gone by, you can't regain the opportunity. When the time is passed, it will never return. And often we think that we have plenty of time to serve God that we have plenty of time to sacrifice, to demonstrate our faithfulness, to be generous. But no, listen, no, you don't. There may be more time later on, but there will not be more time later to do what God wants us to do today. No, there is an appointed, expected activity, commitment, faithfulness, sacrifice for us to make today. We should know that our opportunity always has an expiration date. And you can't be faithful tomorrow for what God wants you to do today. You can't be faithful next year to what God wants you to do this year. There will never be another time to be faithful in this time. Now, we're in strange times. As I said earlier, in the middle of the 
pandemic, the novel coronavirus pandemic, uh, what should we do? Well, this is a time that was on God's calendar. Hasn't surprised him. Uh, there's no emergency session in heaven uh, where the Trinity is saying, oh no, what are we going to do now? Uh, no, God knew that this was coming and God's hand is upon our world. We can, we can trust in that. But also, God has scheduled tasks, commitments, faithfulness, generosity for you to engage in in this time. Things that you can do now that you will not be able to do a year from now or even a week from now. We need to be faithful in this time. God has given us a unique time to do unique things that he's called us to do. We can't let our time expire for, for, these, for these things. We must know the time. I, I thought about some of the different age groups in our church that are so affected by this. Uh, everybody's affected uh, by the pandemic and the restrictions but I thought about our seniors, our senior adults. So many of you, you're, you're at home, and uh, the senior adults in our church are some of the busiest people that I've ever known, uh, but not so much right now, right? You've got more time on your hands. Uh, life is very different. But know this, God has a scheduled appointment for you to serve, pray, give, be faithful, study something. God has an appointment for you. This is a unique time. He has a unique assignment. Don't let this time expire. I, th I thought about our students. So I have a, a high school student or a middle school student and, and then a couple of college-age daughters as well. Uh, these, are, these are strange days for them. And, and, and here's what I would want them to hear. Uh, this, is, this is your life for right now. I know this is not what you would have chosen. This is not what you signed up for, but it, but it's, it is your life, and it may be your life for, for some number of days. None of us know. So what's the message? Don't waste your quarantine. I mean, don't waste this time. God has appointed things for you to do right now, ways for you to be faithful. Sow the seed today that's in season today. If you have more time, Maybe you should invest that in the study of God's word like you never could have done before. If, are your friends fearful? Maybe now's the time for you to share the gospel or to call them up and say, hey, could I pray with you over the phone or, 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 or over uh, some video conference? And maybe you've never done that before, but now's an opportunity for you to do that. Are you anxious? Well, now may be the time for you to grow in your prayer life or to connect with other people and be transparent with them and ask them to pray for you, don't waste your quarantine. There is an expected time for you to sow. So we've seen two puzzle pieces, and we still haven't answered the question, have we? What is the source of uh, strength and motivation? We don't know yet, but we've got two puzzle pieces. The second one, know the time. The first one, understand the principle of sowing and reaping. When we get this third one in, I think you'll see the, the full picture and we'll be able to answer the question. So number three, focus on the harvest. Now, we've looked at verse nine over and over and over, but I wanna look at it once again. Let us not get tired of doing good for, that's, that's an important word, for because we will reap at the proper time if we do not give up. We will not grow weary, listen church, 
We will not grow weary or tired if we can remember that the harvest is coming. If we can remember that there will be a time of reaping. If we can remember that as, as we're faithful to sow, as we're faithful to serve, as we're faithful to do the things God has called us to do, that God will be faithful to give us a harvest. If we can keep our eyes on that harvest, it'll give us strength in difficult days. It'll give us motivation when there seems to be no other motivation. And this is true in every part of our, of our lives. Motivation wanes when we lose sight of the harvest. Our motivation shrinks or weakens when we lose sight of the harvest. Let me give you some examples. Uh, it is hard to stay faithful on a diet if week after week we don't see the pounds come off, right? You make a commitment to a diet, but you get on the scales, nothing happens. I mean, as long as you're losing weight, it's easy. It's easy to stay on the diet, but, but you go through a period where you're not losing anything and you, and you can't see the end it's hard to stay faithful. It's hard to stay patient with your spouse if you don't see any change. It's hard to keep putting money away for, for retirement if you don't see the nest egg growing. So even in very secular parts of life, it's true that if we can't see the harvest, we, we're not going to have the motivation. But if we do see the end result, we will be motivated. We will have strength. And it is even more true in the spiritual aspects of life. It's hard to keep praying if you don't see changes. It's hard to keep sharing the gospel if you don't see movement. It's hard to stay faithful in Bible study and, and prayer if we don't feel closer to the Lord. But when we do see the harvest, when we can, by faith, be assured that God is going to bless and that God is going to honor what we've done, then that gives us strength. If we'll keep our eyes on the harvest. So I've shared this with you before, uh, a little different part of this, but years ago, I ran a marathon. Uh, now, don't be impressed. I, it was a slow motion marathon. I think there were 30,000 people to run, and I came in like 29,999th place. Uh, but I, I ran a marathon, and I'll tell you what was interesting about this marathon. It was in Washington, D.C., and they really did this, this race well. They put it together well. They had a party at every mile marker. They had a band there. They had a crowd there, and they had balloons and all the, all the trappings of a party. And when you would come to the mile marker, people would cheer, people that Strangers, they didn't know me from Adam. People would cheer like I had just been crowned ruler of the world. And it was, it was uplifting. It was encouraging. And so here's, here was my strategy the last half of the race. I wanted to quit. was tired. Uh, I, I was, uh, was fatigued. I, I wanted to stop. But my strategy was this. I'm just going to run to the next party. And so I would be in the party running through the crowd at the 15-mile mark thinking I'm not going to be able to go 10 more steps. But I would decide I'm just I'm going to run to the next party. There's going to be another party at the 16-mile at the mark, and I just ran to the next party. And I kept running to the next party until finally I got to the end. Listen, if we can keep our eyes on the destination, if we can keep our eyes on this, 
that God will be faithful to give us a harvest if we are faithful to do the things he calls us to do. That'll give us the strength. That'll give us the motivation. We must keep our eyes on the harvest. So how do we keep from losing motivation, from getting tired? Let me say it again. If by faith we believe that God knows what we're going through and that God will be faithful to bring a harvest because of our faithfulness, then we'll have the strength. I mean, we all have stories of this, and we've all seen the evidences of this in our lives. Uh, I, I have a wonderful assignment uh, that God has given to me that I the great privilege of being pastor of this church. And I'm, I'm not... Uh, in any way negative about that. But there are some times when, when I'm just tired. Uh, there's, some, there's some days when I got here to the church at 4.30 in the morning and now it's 5.30, 6.30 at night. And, and I just want to go home. I'm just tired. There's still more things to do. There are people to call. There's sermons to write. And I think nobody knows and nobody cares I just want to go home. But listen, then the Lord reminds me, I know and I care. And you sow faithfulness and I will make sure you reap my faithfulness in your life and in your ministry. If we will keep our eyes on the harvest, then we will have strength. Now, I know somebody will Somebody's probably hearing this and, and saying, that just sounds like some positive thinking mantra out of a business book. Uh, Pastor, what are you talking about? No, listen, I, it, it might or might not be in a business book, but I, I'm, I'm teaching it to you because it's in God's book. That's exactly what Paul said when, 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 he, when he said that what we, what we sow is what we will reap and God will be faithful in this. And it's also, interestingly enough, exactly how Jesus persevered. Listen to this. You want to know how you can have energy and strength, how you can persevere? Well, let's look to Jesus. No better example than that. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we, are, uh, we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares, and let us run with endurance the race that's marked out for us. So he says, don't stop. Keep going. Don't say you're too tired. There's work to do. But what's the motivation? Well, it tells us in the next verse. He says Jesus is the motivation. He says keeping our eyes on Jesus. That's how we do this. Now, now he says how Jesus was motivated. He says, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does it say? That Jesus was able to endure the cross. I mean, you know Jesus could have come down from that cross any moment he chose. Jesus could have walked away from Pilate. Jesus could have ascended into heaven. He could have called down 10,000 angels. Jesus could have stopped it just like that. 
But how did Jesus keep going? How did he have the strength and the motivation to die on that cross, to go through the shame and the pain and, and all that was involved in that? Well, it says specifically, he kept his eye on the prize. It says, for the joy that was set before him, the joy of, of providing forgiveness for all mankind, the joy of saving and, and rescuing me and you, that was his joy. And he focused on the joy. And because of that, he was able to endure the cross and despise the shame. So how do I have motivation? I keep my eye on the prize. I keep my eye on the joy that is set before me and the promise of the harvest that God, that God gives. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could have the hope of heaven. That's our only hope is to trust in what Jesus has done upon the cross. And that was his joy and that was his motivation. May his promise to me be my joy. May that be our motivation. So keeping our eyes on Jesus and knowing that God will bring a harvest in response to our faithfulness, let us press on and not be too tired because God will always be faithful. I, I was reading much about this this week and came across uh, a historical uh, account that I'm familiar with uh, but I, but I, I, I appreciated that, that my reading just jogged to my memory. And, and this is a great example of, of this. And I hope it will encourage you. Uh, there was a man by the name of William Carey in the 1700s. And God called William Carey to be a missionary uh, in times when the church really was not only not favorable toward world missions, the church was actually opposed to it. Can you imagine there was a time in the church where the church was opposed uh, to carrying the gospel to the four corners of the world as we're commanded to do? But God called William Carey uh, to be a missionary to the nations. Uh, there was an instance early in his life when he was in a meeting with church leaders and he stood up and argued for the value of missions, but he was abruptly interrupted uh, by one of the other ministers who said, young man, sit down. When it pleases God to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. And that was the opposition that he faced, but it didn't stop William Carey. In 1792, William Carey famously said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And so within a year, Carey a gentleman by the name of John Thomas, uh, Carrie's wife, pregnant wife, by the way, and three boys boarded a ship bound for India. Uh, life was very difficult on the mission field. There was little or no funding. Uh, John Thomas, his companion that had gone to assist him in this work, deserted him. Uh, Carrie and his family were forced to move from from place to place to place in India in search for employment to make enough money to put food on the table. Illness racked his family. Loneliness was overwhelming. Uh, William Carey contracted malaria. His five-year-old son Peter died of dysentery. His wife Dorothy uh, collapsed under the weight of the mental and emotional struggles of the work. For seven years, seven years, 
William Carey proclaimed the gospel faithfully week after week and month after month and not one single person responded in faith and followed Christ. But then on December 28th in the year 1800, one man did. And William Carey baptized him in the Ganges River and he became the very first Hindu convert. And then God began to bless. Over the next 28 years, William Carey translated the entire Bible into India's six major languages and parts of 209 other languages. He brought social reform to India, uh, the abolition of infanticide and widow burning. Uh, He founded a divinity school there in India that still operates to today. His faithful sacrifice, his diligent work, spawned a worldwide mission movement. Since then, tens of thousands of people have responded to the call to missions and to go down the path that Kerry reopened. And millions of people, as a result, have come to know Christ because of William Carey and his faithfulness to blaze a trail uh, that nobody had blazed in nearly 2,000 years. Here's the lesson. Galatians 6 verse 9. Let us not get tired of doing good. Why? For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up.